Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Last month, Missouri Governor Mike Parson signed a bill into law that would increase the penalty for certain crimes in Missouri and remove any chance at parole for certain offenders. Legislative researchers say Senate Bill 600, the crime bill, could add another 2,500 people to the state's prison system by the year 2038. This month, crime is again on the state's agenda. Governor Parson called a special legislative session that's now underway. On the table is legislation to repeal residency requirements in St. Louis, as well as increase the penalty for certain crimes. Parson told the press that these changes were critical. We have to give the law enforcement officers the tools they need to fight violent crime. And right now, more important than anything, we've got to stand up for these law enforcement officers that are dealing with violent crime. The governor said that St. Louis was on pace for a 31 percent increase to its already high homicide rate. Kansas City, he said, has increased 35 percent. Aggravated assaults with a firearm in St. Louis County are up 19 percent. He said these problems couldn't wait until the next session. I think, one, most of the things we're talking about here, most everybody is on board with it. It's a nonpartisan agenda. And I think it's important to get that done. That's Governor Mike Parson. Now, around the country, people are protesting to force policing reforms. Parson has taken a different view, as he explained in his remarks calling for the special session. If there was ever a time to stand up for law enforcement, now is the time. They are the frontline response for Missourians. We must support them and give them the respect they deserve, because we cannot fix this problem without them. And that is Missouri Governor Mike Parson. Yesterday, Parson's plan sailed through a Senate committee heating, committee hearing. And now, even as we speak, the bill is being discussed on the Senate floor. Some people who work on the front lines of the state's criminal justice system have some grave concerns about that. And joining us today to share some of hers is Sarah Johnson. She's the director of Juvenile Defense and Policy, as well as the leader of the Children's Defense Team for the Missouri State Public Defender. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sarah, for having me on the show. And we're also joined today by Brendan Rodiger. He's a professor at St. Louis University School of Law and the director of its legal clinic. Brendan, welcome. Thank you, Sarah. Brendan, I want to start with the legislation that Governor Parson already signed into law. This is Senate Bill 600, the crime bill. What are some of the biggest changes you see coming out of that bill? So that's a big question. I I would say at its heart, SB 600 is a punishment bill, um, meaning that, you know, probably the, the most serious implications are the elimination of probation and the elimination of parole for entire classes of offenses. Um, and in particular, these are sort of more serious offenses that by and large already result in significant prison sentences under our current system. And so this is a bill that will actually take people who are currently would be serving, say, 12 years or 13 years and say, no, you have to serve 15 years or 16 years. Um, So its direct result over the next 10 to 15 years is going to be to dramatically increase the prison population um, and to keep um, individuals in for so long that they really are released without any supervision whatsoever, since the the new rule is that you do 100% of your time. And talk to me about how how that's a change. Previously, people would do a certain percentage of their time, and then they would be released under some pretty major restrictions. How how does that system work? 
Yeah, so a, a lot of the – so first of all, just a, a couple of terms. We, we use the term probation. Probation is really a, a period of supervision instead of prison, and then parole would be a period of supervision after prison. And a lot of the listeners have probably heard the term reentry. Um, the idea being that there needs to be some sort of a process by which people who are let out of prison are sort of reintegrated into our community. And so, you know, over the past 10 to 15 years, sort of everyone has agreed that there needs to be some period of supervision so that even the sort of quote unquote tough on crime bills of the past decade have said, well, there need to be 10, 15 percent of the time at the end of a sentence needs to be parole. And here we're seeing the elimination of that. I mean, we're, we're literally talking about here's a bus ticket, goodbye. Um, everyone doing 100%, at least everyone that's, that falls within these categories. Sarah, I know you largely work with the juvenile population there for the Missouri State Public Defender, but for the Public Defender's Office as a whole, how big a concern is this sort of change, the, the change that would eliminate uh, this supervised release where people have these parole conditions when they're being let out of jail or prison? Yeah, so Sarah, I think one of the big pieces is hope, right? So if a person commits an offense, so let's say a robbery or an assault first, and they go away for 10 years, um, they're going to serve about 85% of that. If they are, don't have the ability to then at some point be paroled and receive those community services and be monitored, that hope piece is gone. And, and we know in our juvenile context, too, that's really important. I think the other piece, Sarah, is that this takes away the discretion of the judge in a lot of cases where children are certified to stand trial as an adult. So if you look at those dangerous felonies where a kid is certified to stand trial as an adult, that judge's hands are now tied, and they could be sending a young person away uh, without the possibility of parole for a significantly longer period of time. Hmm. Now, the sponsor of this bill, um, this is Republican T Tony Lutkemeyer. He says this in a statement. Many of these crimes are committed by a small number of repeat offenders. My legislation ends the catch-and-release practices and ensures that the most dangerous criminals are behind bars. Brendan Rodiger, uh, what about that assertion from the representative that that's what this crime bill would do? Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's precisely the same rhetoric that, that created mass incarceration. I mean, you could find that. He, he may have, in fact, taken that quote from somebody in 1986 supporting the Lynn Bias bill. I, I, I mean, the, it's very easy to say there is this category of dangerous people in our society, and if we capture them and we keep them in a cage for long enough, we will all be safe. But the reality is that these are all crimes of desperation, and we have no social safety net. And as long as we keep chasing this by through punishment, we're just going to we're going to stay in the same place. So I know when these things go into law, um, advocates are always looking for ways of if there was just a good case that you could maybe get it struck down, that the Constitution doesn't actually say you can do this. Do you think we'll see legal challenges to things that are coming out of this Senate Bill 600? Yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, first I want to say almost all of this tough-on-crime stuff is constitutional. And so, you know, we, we need to have the debate as a policy debate, you know, are, are, are we the sort of society that wants to throw people away? That's the most important conversation to be having. There are some areas where the bill is subject to, um, may be subject to some, some criticism constitutionally. Um, there's a, a conspiracy provision of the bill that basically takes away a judge's ability to decide whether or not to try two co-conspirators together. Mm -hmm. um, 
And uh, I certainly think that there will be litigation around that particular provision um, because it goes so far as to say judges have to do this, uh, meaning try the two people together. And then there's also a, a section dealing with, with gangs that is so expansive um, and ambiguous that I think it will, it will likely um, result in some litigation. Okay, so there'll be some parts of this that, that people will target and see if they can get struck down. But the bigger picture here, this idea of people having to serve um, and not getting any sort of parole at the end of their sentence, not getting that supervised part of their release, it sounds like you're thinking that's likely, that that's going to that's going to become the new law here. That's happened. The ship has sailed. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the position of the state of Missouri has been that there is no right to parole um, in any way, that parole is entirely discretionary, that it can be taken away at any time. Um, and I think that will continue to be the case. So we want to hear from you. Do you support the changes made to Missouri's criminal code here and what the legislature is currently working on? Why or why not? You can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Um, Sarah, I do want to also talk about uh, what's underway right now. It's not just Senate Bill 600, which passed last month. It's also what's being discussed on the floor of the Senate right now. And I understand that in addition to changing residency for St. Louis City cops, this would make some big changes to certain categories of juveniles. What's being discussed right now? Sure. So under Senate Bill 1, Sarah, there is a... Um, suggestion that children who are charged with either unlawful use of a weapon or armed criminal criminal action would be subject to what's called a certification hearing. So in a certification hearing, the judge has to decide, does this young person, age 12 to 17, belong in the juvenile system, or should they go to adult court? So that is what's being discussed. The, the concern is that uh, Unlawful use of a weapon includes some felonies, but it also includes some some misdemeanors. Mm. And so a child could potentially be certified to stand trial as an adult on a misdemeanor. Tell me what sort of scenario would lead to somebody being charged with unlawful use of a weapon? Um, what might be something where a kid could then end up in front of a judge for a crime like that? Sure. So you've got something where a, a kid could be exhibiting a weapon, so using it in a threatening or angry manner, pointing at someone, or it could be as simple as a child carrying a gun into a public place like a library. Hmm. So these are things where you don't have to fire the gun or it wouldn't even have to be a gun. This could be like a knife. Correct. Yes. Yes. So th we've, we hear a lot about this Missouri model. This is something that has happened in this state. It's earned a lot of praise for the way that it deals with juveniles. Um, how would this new law, if this goes into effect, how would this undercut that? So I think, Sarah, the most important thing to understand here is that we have to recognize that kids are different, and incarcerating children in adult facilities is not going to be the solution. The Missouri model is the model of juvenile corrections, essentially, so placement in the Division of Youth Services, where they have smaller facilities, they keep uh, children closer to home because they recognize that community support is important, they give kids the appropriate uh, treatment, like trauma therapy, uh, accredited schooling, and they give them counseling, peer support. And so if we certify more children to stand trial as an adult, they aren't getting those same juvenile services. Mm -hmm. um, and so we are potentially increasing the number of people who are going to recidivate because we know children who are sent to the adult system are more likely to recidivate. 
The scary thing, Sarah, is they're also more likely to be assaulted in adult facilities. They're more likely to be sexually assaulted in those facilities. So we have to really ask ourselves the question, what do we want as a, as a state for our children? We're talking today to Sarah Johnson. She's with the Missouri State Public Defender's Office. And we're also joined today by Brendan Rodiger. He's a professor at St. Louis University School of Law and the director of its legal clinic. And our discussion is encompassing both the crime bill that Governor Parson signed into law last month, as well as the discussion underway right now in Jefferson City about another set of uh, crime-related laws that the the legislature wants to toughen up. Um, We have a number of callers who want to join us. But first, we do need to take a quick break. We'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com. Welcome back. We're talking about the crime bill recently signed into law by Governor Mike Parson, as well as the crime-focused special session now underway in Jefferson City. My guests have concerns about both, and they are Sarah Johnson, the Director of Juvenile Defense and Policy, as well as the leader of the Children's Defense Team for the Missouri State Public Defender. And they are also Brendan Rodiger. He's a professor at St. Louis University School of Law and the director of its legal clinic. Now, um, Missouri made some moves in 2018 and 2019 to join the criminal justice reform movement that was sweeping the country. And Governor Mike Parson himself, interestingly, um, was on record supporting some of these reforms. The Missouri Times reported that he attended an all-day conference on reducing the prison population in 2018. He said that he'd observed that, quote, a large percentage of those in jail weren't bad people. They were just people who made, quote, terrible choices. Well, St. Louis Public Radio reporter Jacqueline Driscoll asked Governor Parson yesterday about how he reconciles thoughts like that with this bill. Here's what he said. Well, first of all, we have reduced the prison population from 32,000 down to, I think, somewhere around 25,000 uh, since I became governor. Second, you've got to just keep in mind special sessions about violent crime. When you talk about juveniles, you're not talking about little minor juvenile violations. You're talking about people involved in violent crimes. Uh, if you're talking about ex- penalties, more penalties, it'll be because people that commit violent crimes. We're talking homicides. We're talking about rape. Uh, we're talking about aggravated assault. It's strictly about violent crime. And that is Governor Mike Parson speaking yesterday to St. Louis Public Radio reporter Jacqueline Driscoll and the rest of the press corps there. Um, Brendan Rodiger, hearing those comments from him, what do you think has changed or has his perspective not really changed on this? Well, I don't think personally that his perspective has changed. I, I do think there was, you know, for a couple of years, there was this moment where people at least imagined that there was bipartisan um, agreement on criminal justice reform, but it sort of failed to grapple with the difficult questions. Mm-hmm. Um, what is a violent crime? Um, are we drawing this hard distinction between violent and nonviolent and just agreeing that we're throwing away everyone who um, committed an act that we declare to be violent? Th- those sort of things, I-, I think because people wanted to move on on getting legislation passed, they never really had those conversations. And so this is the backlash that has repeated over and over again since 1986 in this country. Um, and I think a lot of us predicted it. Hmm. And, and Governor Parson earlier had referred to crime being up in, in some key cities, including St. Louis. Um, do you think that could be attributed to some of the, the reforms that went into place in 2018 and 2019? 
there's no data um, that indicates that there is any correlation between the amount of violent crime in a community and long sentences. Mm -hmm. There is some data that indicates that likelihood of being caught and likelihood of being prosecuted has an impact. Um, but, and I think it's sort of common sense. Um, no one thinks I would do this crime if I got 14 years, but I'm not going to do it if I get 20. That's a good point you make right there. Yeah, that's that's not the way anyone's brain works, much less, say, a younger kid. I mean, we're just not thinking ahead that far. Sarah, he also made some comments specifically about the question of juveniles. Is there anything you'd want to respond to um, in terms of Governor Parsons' remarks just there? Yeah, you know, I am going to steal some of the words from people who have written Sarah, in the past week about this bill, and that include Yusef Salam. He was one of the Central Park Five who was wrongfully accused um, of assaulting and raping a woman in the 1980s. Um, and it in also includes Judge Evelyn Baker, who said that you know, if she could go back, she would not have sentenced Bobby Bostick in the way that she did because she was sentencing his behavior in the courtroom and not based on his adolescent brain development. And so what we know is that kids are different. And so we have to look at the resources we have in the juvenile system and utilize that to help them uh, get over their mistakes, right, and, and become successful uh, adults. And, and just incarcerating more children is not the answer to that. I want to go to the phone lines. We have so many people who want to weigh in on this subject, and it's, it's great to see the passion there. Let's go to Giles, who is calling from St. Louis. Uh, Giles, hi. You're on St. Louis on the Air. Yeah, how you doing? Thank you for joining us. What, what are your thoughts on this? Well, basically, uh, because I was in the system myself, and uh, what they're saying as far as trying to get tough on the juveniles, I went to the juvenile system, and uh, not having nobody there to basically help me identify the trauma I went through as a child, which kind of led to my adolescence and criminal behavior later on, mm -hmm. it's really going to be the key to solving the issue with this violence and crime that's going on in the state and all across the country. So, so kids who are in the system uh, need more support, is what you're saying, not longer sentences. Well, the people even previously going to into the system, see, they're looking at the juveniles committing these crimes. Why are they committing them? Because they come from broken homes, they got lack of resources. Uh, a lot of them have, like I said, brain damage or have uh, bipolarism. They have all kinds of issues going on. And nobody's trying to help them overcome that so that they can take them on a different direction. Because otherwise, they're going to continue on the direction they're going to go on, and they're going to wind up in the system as far as juveniles are going to elevate itself into the, uh, the, the bigger system, the, the Missouri State Penitentiary and those heavier, harder facilities. Well, when they go in, they start to get uh, indoctrinated into being a uh, a tougher and more violent, more criminal from just the people around them in there. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to help that. It's not going to help at all. It's the best way to solve this, and I've been to Jeff City myself to talk to the legislators on Unlock the Vote with Missouri Expo. Also, I would uh, file support to talk about the, the suspension of the school's kids at this 300-some days suspension. That's affecting our juveniles, too. Well, Giles, um, I want to thank you for those remarks, and I'm glad to see you've become an advocate on these issues and, um, you know, speaking to some of these problems that these kids come into the system with. Um, Sarah, is that something you see in a lot of the clients that your office serves? Oh, absolutely, Sarah. I think our children that we see so frequently are victims of gun violence themselves or ha have witnessed violence in their communities or within their families. And so trauma is certainly a piece that 
we need to look at. And, and we know that our juvenile system, the Missouri model, is able to help children um, work through that trauma. The adult system is not. Okay, so that would require keeping them in that juvenile system, not treating them as adults. Giles, That's I correct. want to thank you for that call. Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, Katie is calling from Hannibal. Um, Katie, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I, uh, I see what the governor is doing as a form of veiled racism, um, following the Trump model to turn our attention to something else. Um, the fact that there was criminal justice reform attempted uh, in 1986, the fact that criminal justice reform was talked about here even by the governor, 2018-2019, um, but we must commit. We must commit to a renewal of the social safety net. My dad was the uh, judge, Judge Bill Hundage, in the St. Louis desegregation case. Oh. And um, uh, during that time, um, there were death threats against him. Their home was broken into. Many things happened to them. Um, that doesn't matter. He got catcalled on the street, uh, uh, couldn't uh, get out without um, comments being made to him. Uh, that's a minor measure of, of what happens to other people, especially our brothers and sisters who are of color. Um, I remember in uh, some of the stories I heard on, on the station uh, about uh, the, the death of Michael Brown and his mother, one of the comments she made early on, uh, something to the effect that you can't imagine what we went through to get him to graduation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was in a, a school system that was then broken, and, and he, as I understand it, had been, been a student who benefited from the desegregation case. I also met an artist up here uh, uh, about a year and a half ago, fabulous uh, African-American artist who had a show at the Hannibal Grange College, um, and uh, he had also been a student who benefited from that. Until... Uh, Katie, thank you. Thank you for sharing those remarks, and I appreciate your perspective on this. Uh, Brendan, you guys deal with so many people through the St. Louis University Legal Clinic. Um, do you see race playing a role in, um, you know, these, these heavy laws and who's affected by them? So two answers. I mean, one, I, I agree entirely with the caller. I, I don't know if I would call it veiled. You know, some, some folks would call it a, a, a dog whistle. Um, but there's certainly a bipartisan history of using this sort of tough-on-crime uh, rhetoric uh, to uh, attack, insult, harm the black community. This is certainly a part of that history. Um, and then the, you know, the second part, yeah, we know for a fact that the results, the consequences of this legislation will be to harm primarily black defendants. Mm-hmm. That's so hard to hear with everything going on right now and, and so many places around the country moving in, in just such a different direction than this. It, it seems so frustrating that here we are in Missouri for this small step forward. We seem to be taking a big step back. Sarah, is there just some frustration among people who work within the system that here we go again? Yeah, I think we all uh, have a lot of hope that you know we can reform our criminal justice system because we know that incarceration is not improving community safety. We all... Uh, don't like that there is violent crime, but incarceration does not improve public safety. And these are our community members. So how can we make them successful? I think, Sarah, we have to talk about cost, right? It costs almost $22,000 a year to incarcerate a person in the state of Missouri as compared to $2,000 in the community. So how are we going to make our community safer? I think we need to figure out a different answer than what we're doing. It's interesting that uh, the crime bill that's already been passed, Americans 
for Prosperity Missouri. That's a conservative group. They came out against this. They said it's likely to add some major costs. Brendan, do we have any sense of, of what the cost of some of these moves could be to the state's bottom line? Yeah, so there's a lot of debate about in Missouri, and there shouldn't be. Somebody should figure it out. But there's a lot of debate about how much it actually costs to incarcerate somebody. Um, so uh, Sarah's number is probably pretty close to correct. There are numbers that are higher. But when the Department of Corrections tells legislators how much it's going to cost, they're using a number that's under $7,000 a year. Hmm for incarceration. So the, the, how they arrive at that, what sort of manipulations, I don't know. But even if you take their sort of artificially low number, um, it's pretty clear that we're talking over the next 20 years about in excess of $100 million. Wow. That seems like money we don't even have at this point. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is going to be, it sounds like we're talking not just the cost of housing these people. Do you think we'll even need additional prisons if we continue down this path? That's correct. And, and the number that, that I'm using is not a number that includes construction. Um, it, it, yeah, Just I, the day-to-day cost. The, the ACLU's position that this could result in, in building two additional facilities, I think, is absolutely correct. We've heard from a number of our listeners on social media. Christine writes on Twitter, I'm so very disturbed by this legislation. Since 1985, we have tons of data to show tough on crime laws don't lower crime. Even Oklahoma, which has some of the toughest laws, are admitting those laws did not yield anything except more prisoners, which cost the state billions. Eric writes on Facebook, I have two adopted children with varying degrees of PTSD. I know now more than ever what trauma does to kids, how to treat it, and I certainly know how not to treat it. The brain develops a certain way. When it's disrupted, it might no longer develop at the same rate or in the same fashion. You cannot help a person with an underdeveloped brain or less than completely developed brain by introducing more trauma. You are giving up on them. That is certainly not pro-life. I think we have time to take just one more caller here. Let's go to Greg, who's calling from St. Louis. Um, Greg, hi. You're on St. Louis on the Air. Oh, yes. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, um, I was just calling to say that this crime bill against uh, that Mike uh, the governor has uh, proposed uh, it's a fruit. Missouri has a long history of mass incarceration of African Americans. And the first thing that I said is that in order to uh, stop violent crime and to help our community is to, for nonviolent offenders, first time felonies, he made, he made it hard to get their record expunged. So if you're a nonviolent uh, felony and you commit any other crime, even if it's not, even if it's a, a suspended sentence within that seven years, then you can't get that, that, that first nonviolent felony uh, expunged. So and what happened? Greg, thank you for that point. I think that's a good thing, um, a, a good thing to note there. Um, Brendan, do you see that, that once people have this kind of felony on their record, it can really hold them back in, in life? Yeah, I mean, and you know, technology, you can't talk about this without sort of also talking about technology and the fact that all of us can now, all employers, um, all of us can, can look up everything about um, everyone's past. So we're really entering a period where forgiveness um, is sort of out of the question. Um, the hope was that the expungement bill of a couple years ago would make a little bit of a dent in that. Um, but the reality is that even with sort of legal expungement, the Internet doesn't forget. So this is really a tough situation for somebody who ends up being found guilty of something. It's, it's now it's hung around their neck for life. 
Yeah. Well, these are some very sobering subjects today, and it's just it's hard to hear what's going on right now. But um, I'm grateful for all the callers who joined us. I did want to mention we did have a number of calls we weren't able to get to. Um, interestingly, not a single one expressed support for this crime bill. Um, a much different take out there, I guess, among our listeners than what's going on now um, in the Senate and the House. So I want to thank Brendan Rodiger of St. Louis University School of Law for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your expertise. Thank you, sir. And Sarah Johnson of the Missouri State Public Defender, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Sarah. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.